So before we get started, there is a trigger warning for this episode as we are talking about eating disorders. So if you feel that you're struggling with your relationship with food and you're wanting to seek help, a great place to start is the Butterfly Foundation or with your doctor or an eating disorder specialized health professional. Hello and welcome to the Embody Health Podcast, where Kira and Meg, your dietitian BFFs. We're here to help you break free of diet culture, become besties with food, and find peace with your body. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Embody Health Podcast. You're here with the two Embody dietitians, Kia and Meg, and today we're taking a deep dive into disordered eating. So firstly, taking a few steps back and you know, really wanting to understand what is disordered eating. Disordered eating is where it's not necessarily a full-blown eating disorder. So it's not diagnosed with anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, but there are habits that you're experiencing that are not quite quote unquote normal. These things unfortunately are often a lot of the time normalized in today's society. Things like, you know, cutting out whole food groups or skipping meals or you know fasting these can all be signs of disordered eating especially when they're combined with strong feelings of guilt or anxiety around eating Mm -hmm. yeah and you might find that they are starting to impact social eating occasions so when you're going out for a meal with friends you start to feel anxiety about what's on the menu or when you don't have control over the food that's being provided Um, So in this podcast today, we're going to be talking about five sneaky signs of disordered eating. And I think let's start with food rules to begin with. So food rules is essentially where um, you create certain rules around food that are based on maybe the health of the food or um, weight loss intention or maybe something that you saw on social media about a certain food being inflammatory for example so this could be like cutting out certain foods or food groups such as having no added sugar or no fruit or going low carb and it might not necessarily be based on any advice you've been given by like a health professional or a dietitian or your doctor um, but maybe on yeah something that you you've seen online yeah the I guess the one of the distinct characteristics we do find about food rules is they really give us this really strong black or white way of thinking so it's either that the rule has been kept or it's not been kept mm-hmm. um, and often these food rules they are completely unrealistic so you know one of them might be you're not allowed to eat after 7 p.m when in real life you know what happens if you go out to dinner with your friends and it's 7 30 p.m at night you know if you want to engage in those social occasions You know, that means you're probably going to be eating past 7 p.m. at night. But if we have that really strong food rule in our head, often we think, oh, I'm a complete failure because I haven't been able to keep to that food rule. Mm -hmm. And so it's got that really, yeah, you've either done really well or really badly. So that black or white way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say, you know, there are some times where food rules aren't disordered. And this can happen in cases such as when you have an allergy to a certain food. Of course, it's perfectly reasonable to exclude dairy from your diet if you have a dairy allergy. Um, or if you have a medical condition such as celiac disease in which you can't have any you know, cross-contamination of gluten and can't eat it at all. Um, intolerances can be a bit of a tricky thing. So um, some people might 
find that they have, you know, like a stomach reaction or gut reaction after eating certain foods and create rules where they exclude those foods. But often it's a bit of a case of guessing unless you're working with maybe a dietitian or a professional to work that out. So if you have any questions around that in terms of intolerances, I definitely recommend working with a dietitian rather than just cutting that food out completely and kind of hoping for the best. Yeah, definitely. And maybe we should go through a few examples of food rules that we see, Mm -hmm. you know, just with patients, but also maybe on the internet as Mm -hmm. well. There's so on the internet is the worst sometimes, (laughs) really. There is so many different diets, um, you know, that are recommended. And I know sometimes I even look through Instagram pages, like there's all these random Instagram pages that just have really badly Uh, really bad nutrition information on it i always find if they've i saw a thing on instagram the other day it's you know if something is smoothie in the instagram handle it's probably not going to be providing good detox yeah detox smoothie you know that's a whole nother topic you don't Mm -hmm. need to detox yourself um but some of the most common ones we see is say uh the idea of not having any carbs so Mm -hmm. not having any you know bread rice pasta and a lot of the times when we work with clients and we think about food rules we ask them okay where did that actually come from Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time it's not from a reputable professional it's not from like a dietitian um it's from often some instagram influencer and in some cases as well with food rules they can be from people who look really good as Mm -hmm. well so say for example we follow an Instagram influencer or TikTok influencer even um, and we go oh okay like she looks really hot she's got a really nice body um, and she doesn't eat x y and z therefore if I'm going to look that way as well you know that's that's how I like I have to eat like that as well and that's often where these food rules have started mm-hmm. um, so yeah not cutting out or cutting out carbs is a really common one as well I see um, yep. what other ones do you see definitely um, intermittent fasting mm. Um, And while I acknowledge it may be beneficial for some people, for most people, it just isn't because when you have really large eating windows between, you know, between your first and last meal. So like, you know, if you wait until, let's say, 12 p.m. to have breakfast for the day, you're actually starting your day with minimal fuel. Right. You know, um, And we know that the longer you leave in between meals, the more likely it is to lead to overeating Mm -hmm. or feeling out of control around food. So intermittent fasting can be a really big trigger for people who struggle with overeating or like binge eating in quotation marks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely find that. Yeah, that's the perfect example is like, say, intermittent fasting, where you may only start eating at like, say, 12 p.m. or 2 p.m. in the day. And then often by time by the time it gets to the end of the day, you just feel like eating everything mm-hmm. in sight. Um, and, you know, often you don't feel too good about yourself because you've eaten so much food in that sm- small space of time. But that, you know, eating that large amount of food, if that happens, it's often us we feel really bad and guilty about. We're like, I haven't been good enough. Mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, didn't stuck to it. I didn't stick to my diet. When in actual fact, it was the food rule of only allowing yourself between to eat between 12 and 6 p.m. or whatever it is that wasn't actually realistic to begin with yeah it's it's essentially setting yourself up for failure with a bit of a cycle of um, guilt as mm-hmm. well which you know we know guilt is not a good motivator for looking after yourself or being your best self and I know there's a few other topics we want to talk about today, but a really good exercise that I find with clients um, to identify if they have food rules, because 
to be honest, sometimes we don't actually realize we have these food rules. We're just, you know, we're just like, this is what I eat. And I don't really know any different. Um, but is honestly going into a supermarket and writing and like looking at all the different foods on the shelf and writing a list of all the foods that you wouldn't eat mm-hmm. and really trying to unpack that um, and go, OK, so why don't I eat this food? Um, is there a food rule associated? Is there a food rule associated with this? Um, because that can help you identify some of those food rules that you may have as well. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Shall we move on to number two? Yes. Yeah, so number two is trying to suppress our appetite instead of eating. So as a human, we have a metabolism, you know, that our metabolism's, you know, going every day, you know, it increases every day and decreases every day. It, it fluctuates. There's a lot of things that come under our metabolism. You know, first thing being our genetics, but then also our lifestyle. So if we're doing more exercise, our metabolism is going to be higher on some days. If we're doing less exercise, our metabolism might be lower on other days. Um, but when we think about why we have a metabolism, it's because we need to eat food and we need to eat food to provide fuel for that metabolism. But one of the things that um, we find with disordered eating or disordered eating sometimes encourages, and this might be um, something that people pick up from diets, is trying to suppress uh, any of our hunger cues. Um, and to be honest, our hunger cues are important. They're a sign that our metabolism is working and that we need to eat. Um, but if we suppress them over a period of time, often they just go away. Um, so I'd be very mindful of any sort of um, ways that are you know recommended to you or that you do to suppress your natural hunger cue so things like having large amounts of diet soft drink or diet drinks in general you know that provides us that feeling of fullness because um, you know our stomach is expanding but we're not actually getting any nutrition in there as well same with coffee coffee is an appetite suppressant so you know a coffee is not a meal or a snack (laughs) yes coffee is a great thing to have you know once or you know maybe twice a day you know I've definitely been guilty of having more coffee than I should Um, but there's a difference between having you know coffee you know in the morning maybe as part of your mid-morning snack or with your breakfast versus just having coffee as your fuel or Mm. to be honest even pre-workout like Mm. and you know using you still need carbs you still need (laughs) carbs you still need energy you know you still need food um yeah so being really mindful of that too Mm -hmm. yeah i think um just to add to that one another one that i see is chewing gum Mm -hmm. or just like diet products, sugar-free mm. products. Mm. Um, it's like, you know, sugar-free hot chocolates, things like that. Maybe in some circumstances it can be beneficial mm-hmm. if you want to reduce, let's say, your total sugar intake for the day. But if you're using it as an appetite suppressant mm-hmm. and having that instead of just honoring a craving for that particular food, mm-hmm. would say that's not really... Yeah, that fits in the category of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, even water sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. water is important for us. Like we, most people generally need to drink about two liters a day, but if you're finding you're drinking like four liters a day, and that's because you're getting hungry and you don't want to acknowledge those hunger cues, that's definitely a sign of disordered eating as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to hydration, right, we want to make sure that our we is straw color, mm-hmm. but you don't need to be going to the bathroom like three to four times an hour that's probably a sign that you've got more fluid on board than you need Mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, yeah, straw color, like I, I think actually looking at the color of your pee is probably one of the best indicators of how mm -hmm. much water you need. Um, because to be honest, everyone's water requirement does change every day, mm -hmm. especially if you know, you maybe need more someday if you're doing a lot of exercise or you're going out and it's hot, like it's been so hot recently mm -hmm. and you know, you're perspiring more. Um, but then other days you might not need as much. Um, so yeah, definitely checking the color of your pee is a good one. Um, the next one that we wanted to chat about is the idea of having cheat days. Yeah. So this is the concept of like being good. Let's say, you know, the syncretation marks during the weekdays and having, it could be the weekend or a single day as a write-off in quotation marks. So cheat days, I think were popularized in the fitness community, mm -hmm. um, you may already be doing this or know someone who does this and they don't call it a cheat day, but it's essentially this principle of having a set of really like in quotation marks, good days with eating, perfect eating, clean eating, and then having a day where you kind of go all out, like abandon all caution um, and just eat whatever you feel like, which is probably um, all the foods that you felt like you were depriving yourself of during the week. Yeah, and it can really encourage something called the binge restrict cycle. So essentially what the binge restrict cycle is, is it, it starts off by having some sort of restriction in your diet. So whether that be um, restriction of, you know, all those foods that you've been binging on, maybe on the weekend on those cheat days. So for example, classic ones are like, you know, your fun foods, like mm -hmm. your chocolates and cakes and biscuits. Um, and then, you know, often we can actually restrict those foods initially. Sometimes it lasts a couple of days. Sometimes it lasts a couple of weeks, but often then something happens. So mm -hmm. whether it's, we've allowed ourselves to eat like on the cheat days or, um, you know, maybe actually we even have an emotional event, um, like we're feeling stressed or had a bad day at work. And then that often leads us to, uh, start eating and then eat uncontrollably um, and so in some cases kind of go into that binge mm -hmm. and when we're in that binge we often we don't it depends it, it changes from person to person but a lot of the time you might not feel like you, you might not feel like you can actually stop um, like it's completely taken out of uh, you know maybe you actually know oh I shouldn't be eating this or you've been you're thinking I shouldn't be eating this but then you just still continue to eat mm -hmm. um, so it feels completely uncontrollable um, and then that's shortly followed by, you know, a lot of those negative feelings as well. Like, oh, I'm not good enough. I didn't, um, you know, stick to my diet, you know, feeling guilty, poor self-esteem, which often allows, uh, often um, encourages us either to A, just go continue the binge um, or B, go, okay, you know what, I'm going to start again tomorrow and, you know, be better and be more stricter, which again leads back into that restriction and restarts the cycle over again and when we think about that idea of having cheat days that really you know adds fuel to the fire of going okay it's essentially like allowing ourselves to have this binge and restrict cycle which you know instead our approach would be you know rather don't limit those foods because then we when we limit certain foods we that's all we want um so bringing them into your diet in a more regular way so it doesn't feel like a restricted food and you know the holy grail of food mm. Mm. i often see social events as being a trigger for this as well mm. because all of a sudden you have access to these foods that you were restricting previously mm -hmm. um and so christmas or like birthday parties or dinners 
um, can be a bit of a trigger for this, you know, screw it mentality or even just giving up completely Mm -hmm. um, and ending up in that cycle as Mm -hmm. you're describing. Mm -hmm. So definitely including, you know, as we like to call them fun foods, we don't call them cheat foods or like bad foods. They're fun foods because, you know, they offer enjoyment and food is about is meant to be about enjoyment and you know and not just nutrition Mm -hmm. um the point being that it's good to include that during the week on a regular basis yeah yeah um and i guess one thing is that that a lot of people find interesting is you know when we work on it building your relationship with food it's a it's not about restriction it's about allowing more foods into your diet um and you know we like I know I talk a lot about it with clients giving themselves permission to eat these mm-hmm. things you are allowed to eat chocolate you are allowed to eat cakes or biscuits you know because the less that we the less that we have restriction around them the better we feel towards them as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had clients had really good success with giving themselves unconditional permission to eat certain foods and they might eat a lot of it across like the first week but then the magic fades Mm -hmm. and they feel more calm and comfortable around those foods Mm -hmm. so it's no longer like the forbidden fruit Mm -hmm. yeah shall we move on to the next section yeah so in the next we're going to be chatting about juice cleansers so when we think about cleansers you know people often go on again juice cleansers or really low calorie diets for a chance to reset either they have um you know Maybe they haven't had a good week with eating and they want to go, oh, okay, I'm going to go on a juice cleanse and all I eat is juice for a week. And honestly, sometimes they are so expensive as well. Like I know, like I haven't really, I've never really looked into it too much because, um, but like a lot of clients come to me having done them and they can be like $300 for a week. Um, but essentially when we think about juice cleanses, it is very similar to what we talked about before with getting yourself into that binge restrict cycle because we're essentially restricting all food. So a lot of the time it ends up in quote unquote failure because most people can't stay on a juice cleanse for a long period of time. It's not sustainable. You know, whenever we think about nutrition and what sort of foods that you want to eat, we want to think about what's going to be sustainable long-term. So there's that, but then also it's got a lot of nutritional risks as well. So I don't know if you want to chat about mm. more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, when we look at the nutritional profile of juices that we have on these juice cleansers, yes, juice like fruits and vegetables have antioxidants and phytonutrients and that's great but our body needs more than antioxidants to thrive we Mm -hmm. still need fats protein carbohydrates and fiber and while there's some fiber in juice cleansers it's only soluble fiber Mm -hmm. so we're really missing out on the insoluble fiber component which i i'm pretty sure is why people get diarrhea (laughs) when they go on these cleansers and that's often why you feel so oh this has worked because i feel so good and flat Mm -hmm. um yeah because everything's gone out of you Mm -hmm. yeah so you know just the other day I had a client explain to me how she tried a juice cleanse for a couple of weeks and she felt amazing for the first two weeks and then after that she felt super lethargic she was struggling to do her exercises in her gym class um starting to get like lightheaded when standing up and sitting down and these are all signs that that your body is telling you that you're not getting enough nutrition and this isn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So juice cleansers have a, especially juice cleansers, like have a really high risk of, yeah, not getting enough total calories as well. Um, which, you know, often initially your body can 
last on but like you said you know often we get really tired lightheaded um have those really high binge urges as well um but not only that you know it doesn't have enough protein in it it doesn't have enough carbohydrates it doesn't have any fats it you know it essentially not get, giving you enough nutrition overall to your body mm-hmm. um and look there's definitely some periods of time that uh, cl- not cleanses but juice or not actually not even juice-based diets are appropriate so uh, shake-based diets are appropriate so shakes being meal replacement shakes so you know we use this when we're um, uh, preparing someone for weight loss surgery Um, and with that you know there's a quite an intensive process for it you know we need to shrink the size of their liver and we're doing that only for a week or two um, generally pre-surgery and then post-surgery but that is very closely m- monitored by your dietitian and we make sure not only you eating still eating enough protein by those those uh, meal replacement shakes uh, but that you're getting your other micronutrients from other sources as well mm-hmm. um, so that's you know when we're kind of surgery based things or you know sometimes in yeah, medical situations where you know someone might not actually be able to eat any solid food those are probably the main situations i'd find that you know using a liquid-based diet is appropriate but mm. besides that yes it's definitely a sign of disordered eating majority of the time yeah i'd say ultimately we would lump juice cleansers and shake diets in that same category of being really unsustainable mm-hmm. yeah. um okay fantastic so another sneaky sign of disordered eating would be feeling anxious about eating in social occasions, especially when you're not in control of the food that's being provided. So this can link back to having food rules, like Mm -hmm. we talked about at the start, Um, or if you are trying to, in quotation marks, be really good during the weekdays, that can cause anxiety. But other times that we see this happening is when um, there's fear around certain foods in terms of them being considered unhealthy. So for example, having a burger or having some ice cream with friends, if that is starting to cause you anxiety when it would otherwise be kind of a normal social occasion, like it's completely normal and healthy to bond around food and enjoy these foods. If that's starting to cause you anxiety, that's a sign that maybe there's some ideas you've got around food that aren't quite right or aren't serving you or might be disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know in some extreme cases as well um this can lead to like i've definitely had this um previously with clients for them not to actually engage in that social situation at all um and that's definitely a sign that you know with disordered eating one of the functions of it is or one of the results of disordered eating is to isolate you and you know often you know you might get away with not going to one social occasion or two you know that's fine but think about if that continues to happen you know you're not seeing your friends you might not be seeing your family um, and then spending a lot of time at home um, and that can get really really isolating mm-hmm. you know and feel trapped in this world of um, you know not being able to to go out and eat with your friends um, because you know maybe yeah you can't you don't you just don't know what's in the food mm-hmm. um, yeah it's quite hard if you notice that this is starting to happen this is a bit of a red flag because mm-hmm isolating yourself is a pathway to further disordered eating potentially because the less the fewer things you have in your life that are giving you joy and meaning the more possible it is for food or concerns about food to start to take over your thoughts and your life um so 
yeah, a, a great way for disordered eating to take a back seat is to be focusing on what are your core values, what's important to you, what actually serves you to feel happy mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, and I guess one thing to, I guess, ask yourself if you're finding that this is happening is why? So what is it about the, um, you know, the like eating out that's actually causing you stress? Is it someone else making your food or is it just not being in control of the meal um, at all and what's in the meal? So say, for example, um, you know, maybe you've got quite a fear around pasta or carbohydrates and you're going to an Italian restaurant, um, you know, and there's a lot of fear around that. Um, But that's the sort of stuff that I often recommend my clients to journal about. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes in retrospect, it's difficult to think about, you know, what sort of things are causing us anxiety. Um, So, you know, in the moment, I would often say, okay, if you're feeling some stress and anxiety about going out, eating, things like that, um, yet write it down and then unpack that or bring it to your dietitian appointment as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With this as well, um, we always recommend seeking help for a prof- with a professional, like a dietitian or psychologist. But part of the Embody Health podcast is being aware of signs of disordered eating and eating disorders, but also having some strategies in your toolbox. Um, so one thing that can be useful, I find, is if you are not quite ready to go out to a restaurant, um, you know, where you know food might be completely out of your control, even just have someone else in your household potentially make your meal for you and just even start off by making the meal that you'd usually have so say for example like you have um, a stir fry for dinner maybe having a friend or a family member make the stir fry instead of you and then kind of building that up to having say you know making the family or friend uh, you know make you a pasta dish and having that at home in a controlled environment where you know if there is a lot of anxiety sometimes that's easier to cope with when you're at home Um, and then kind of building that up to you know maybe going out to eat having something that you're more comfortable with and then eventually really focusing on challenging those those food rules so you know have like if there's something on the menu that really scares you that's often the one thing that you should have Mm. um you know having that bowl of pasta or whatever it is we will do a full episode on (laughs) tackling food fears Mm -hmm. and um breaking food rules Mm -hmm. and dealing with anxiety. Um, But I think it's important at least, you know, in this episode to reiterate the fact that if you avoid something that causes you anxiety, it will create further fear around that. Mm -hmm. So if you continue to avoid social situations because it gives you anxiety, it's just going to build upon that. Whereas if you actually expose expose yourself to the situation and find out that you know nothing bad happens when you have some brownie with your friends that actually helps to reduce the anxiety around that Mm -hmm. well said well thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the embody health podcast don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast and if you love us definitely give us a rating or review Um, make sure you also check out our social media pages embody health on instagram tiktok and facebook and we look forward to seeing you as part of the community 